Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... I actually met my wife on CatholicSingles.com, if you can believe that. Really? And about Yes, I had never done that before. Didn't have any problems with dating. Natalie and Aaron met on CatholicSingles.com after they realized that they needed to find someone who shared their faith. Meet other faithful Catholics on the original Catholic dating site. Download our app today for free. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.com. Dot app slash breadbox. Welcome to Liturgy Live. My name is Alana Berg, and with me, as always, is Father Ian Van Heusen, and we're going to be talking about Pentecost. How are you doing, Father Ian? Good well, Alana. Good to see everyone. Uh, definitely interesting weekend. Every weekend brings with it something new. Uh, this last weekend was our first Mass back, and um, one of the things I talked about in my homily, uh, connected with the Holy Spirit, um, good to see everyone, good to see Alana, is, um, so one of the challenges in the moral life, I've never heard it put this way. But th- this is a classic problem that most people struggle with and fail to get wrong. That is, there's abstract principles or principles. I, I, I mean, we wouldn't even have to call them abstract. There's principles like love God, love your neighbor. There's, you know, do good and, and avoid evil. There is, you know, um, preserve your life. There's different statements of truth. And there's also what we might call laws. There's moral laws. There's the eternal law. There's what's called the divine positive law. So there's certain things that we are called to follow. And the question then becomes, how do we apply them in concrete circumstances? This is precisely where two interconnected and fundamental teachings of the Catholic faith need to be explored more and be properly understood. One is on conscience. That is, we t- our, what our conscience does is it interpret law in the here and now. So um, there's always exceptions along with the exception of things that are intrinsically evil. Well, I take like speeding limit, right? So there's a speed limit, 55, 60, or 70. It's great North Carolina, our, our speed limit 70. We all recognize that in the case of an emergency, it is not immoral to break the law, right? And, and we can do that according to our conscience. Um, and of course, we also sometimes have to accept the consequences. But sometimes people fail to recognize this. What kind of law is it? Or what, kind, what relationship do we have with the law? A deeper principle when it comes to discernment is when there's not a clear right or wrong, and there's multiple good options, how do we choose that which is most beneficial? 
How do we choose that which is for the greatest glory of God? And it's not a clearly defined process. Now, St. Ignatius and early saints, well, mostly St. Ignatius, the early saints, all of them, they had the intuitions, but St. Ignatius put it into a system. He really compactly put it together in his rules of discernment and in his exercises. And there's a sense that when we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, it helps us in ambiguous circumstances, in circumstances where there's not a clear right or wrong. It helps us to navigate. Um, this is also tied in with the life of the virtues. It's all connected. Conscience, virtues, and then the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Yep, totally makes sense. Yeah, so we'll start off with that. I mean, keep that in the background as we're kind of moving through. I think it's really important right now is that we're going to be facing uh, a very complex situation for the foreseeable future. What I call a VUCA environment. What the Army calls a VUCA environment. Volatile, uncertain, changing, ambiguous. A lot of times we're going to have to adapt week to week, day to day. Um, it's exhausting. I know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping all day today um, before this. Um, at my parents' house, my, my mom's been cooking for me and my, taking care of my dog. It's great. Um, but, but yeah, we got to keep adapting. We got to keep moving. Is Charbel with you right now? He's, my mom just took him to the, the dog park. Okay. There's a weird background sound. That's what I just Well, that's, that's, the, that's the other dog, Cole. Oh, okay. So it is a dog. Not that little, like, tinkling sound. It's him. Yeah. It's him. <laughs> oh, sweet. Okay. Well, I did, I do like um, how you brought up in your homily yesterday about how we need to think about other people's, um, your audio, your visual just went bad. I don't know what, I don't know what just happened, but anyways, oh, you're, you're, okay. You are, um, yeah, it's actually, it's a weird thing. It's a 30 minute time thing. Okay. So 30 minutes I have to click it again. So it's okay. All right. <laughs> well, now I know I can tell you in the middle of what I'm talking. <laughs> anyway, so you were talking about conscience in your homily and about how we need to be careful about the reasons why other people do what they do and feel how they feel. And that we need to be sensitive to the different, different ways people feel. Um, and not reject them in that way. So I, I really liked that. I thought that was an important point. Well, it's a really tough challenge. I think, um, you know, anybody who's been following me or anybody who knows me can probably guess where I might fall politically. Actually, you know, it's funny. The past few days, I've just been like, you know what? I don't care anymore. I'm going to be honest about what my political affiliations are. <laughs> it just helps the circumstances a little bit. Because, you know, it's like, it just helps a little bit, I find. Um, cause I, I think, um, but, but yeah, the, the role of conscience has been a key teaching for me to understand people who disagree with me mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and to serve people, um, serve parishioners who have a different political affiliation or a different mentality, uh, when it comes to this crisis. Um, cause, cause what's most important is their soul and yeah. not necessarily their political thoughts. So, and, and you are best able to serve them if you can understand where they're coming from and, and work in that way. So I really like that perspective. So I appreciate it. Are you ready to get into the first reading? So we can yeah. talk about gifts. Yeah, and today is we're kind of getting into the first reading. One of the things I've found really helpful the past five years, nobody, actually people told me not to do this. Um, and they said, you know, like this is like against kind of counterintuitive is I've been radically transparent with most people about where I stand on things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even like with the ad orientum and the bread and the maniple, I'm being more transparent. I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend like, Oh, it's, it's no big deal. It's just a hat. No, no. I mean, it's, 
And it's not a big deal, but it's it's important. Like I'm, it's definitely I'm making a statement. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. I'm a theological statement. Uh, it's not that I hate everybody else or I'm mad or I'm angry. Mm-hmm. Um, I am mad and angry, but not about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I mean, it is a statement. I mean, and I think what I've seen is sometimes people will like kind of play games with people, and people will start to read through it, and they're like, I think when people sense that you're not being transparent, that's it creates a lot of anxiety in the organization. Like. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what, you know, they, they recognize that you have an agenda. By the way, everybody has an agenda in some, some regard. We're just trying to figure out, well, what's the next five steps? And, and if you're not being transparent about where you're at, uh, they just start, they start to make stuff up, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go. All right. First reading from the Acts of the Apostles. When the time for Pentecost was f- fulfilled... They were all in one place together, and suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to reclaim. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven staying in Jerusalem, At this sound, they gathered in a large crowd, but they were confused, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded, and in amazement, they asked, Are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how does each of us hear them in his native language? We are Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya and near Cyrene, as well as travelers from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, Cretans and Arabs, sorry. Yet we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty acts of God. All right. So... Yeah, I've got, the Holy Spirit. Start off. You want to start off? Go ahead. So um, I believe it's in the Office of Readings where it talks about you know the speaking in, in the different tongues. It talks about now that the church speaks all of the languages of the world, it fulfills. It's almost like a prophetic act that the church will speak all languages to speak. The church will speak to all peoples. Now I think in our own context, going back to what I was talking about before is I, I do believe the church has something to offer all political parties and all people of various persuasions. Now, I do very strictly believe in a certain concepts when it comes to political ideology, um, but I do over, I believe overall that, um, that the Holy Spirit speaks to all people or is able to speak to all people, and that we are able to have this kind of universal quality. And that's something about, I mean, people will often say Christianity is not tied with a political party, um, and for that can mean various things for various people. But I really think we should understand that wisdom is not bound by circumstance. Wisdom and understanding and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they transcend place and time. That makes sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And um, when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what, um, what do you think that, I mean, they happen now, but not as much in terms of like the gift of tongues as what we're, what we're yeah. seeing here. Well, not to, to, I hate to, the, when we say gifts of the Holy Spirit, normally that's St. Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit. So it's 
wisdom, understanding, knowledge, counsel, fortitude right. of the world. Yeah. So then there's, I think, um, I don't know how they refer to it, like manifestations of the spirit. And I think, um, so I've actually talked a lot with charismatic folks and they, they distinguish between speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. Praying in tongues that we see in the New Testament letters is more of a, um, it's more of a, a static type prayer. And, and there's highly debate contested, even to this day among charismatics and traditionalists. Um, what it, the, the basic idea, I, the basic spirituality behind praying in tongues is that in the act of kind of almost gibberish, I hate to maybe call it gibberish, but in that sense, you move from the head to the heart. You're more open to the intuitive work of the Holy Spirit. It's a, a kind of praying that's deeper. Whether you ascribe to it or not, that's just the basic spirituality of it. And there is some truth in that, in that sometimes, particularly people who are very intellectual, they want to analyze everything. They want to figure it out. And they want to be very logical and consistent. And part of contemplation and deeper mystical prayer is it's more intuitive. And, and there's a certain, I want to say irrationality to it, but there's a certain intuitiveness to it. Um, this is the, con the, in classical, they talk about the conflict between the philosophers and uh, the poets, the artists, the intuitive types, and the, the logic, the scientists, the, the philosopher. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, but so I mean, you can, it still happens. I mean, stuff like this still happens. Right. So then I'm going to switch to the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. the wisdom, knowledge, counsel, fortitude, understanding, piety, and fear of the Lord. Those are given at Pentecost, but also to us through um, confirmation, the sacrament of confirmation. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think they argue that it's, it's given to by virtue of baptism, and it's um, activated for the sake of mission for, with confirmation. I have to double check. Okay. I have to double check. But... Um, but yeah, um, have you ever talked with you about this? It's an interesting concept. So, okay, let, let me show my hand a little bit. So I believe St. Thomas Aquinas is the most accurate representation of all that's come before him and the accurate way to understand scripture and interpret the Catholic tradition, which sometimes will put me as what's called a Thomist, even though I'm not probably as academic minded of a Thomist, but that's always in the background of my thinking. Mm -hmm. So in St. Thomas Aquinas, the gifts perfect the human person and elevate so that it becomes a supernatural mode of, of being and acting. That is, think of it this way, Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When the gifts of the Holy Spirit are activated, it's as if God is present in the person and acting through the person in a kind of incarnational way. Um, and so what St. Thomas Aquinas does in his system, it's beautiful, absolutely, is he shows how the gifts of the Holy Spirit perfect the virtues. So there's, there's your instincts, your appetites, the virtues perfect the appetites, and then the virtues are elevated to a supernatural mode of being through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully I didn't lose everybody. Did, did, did we ever follow that? Not a lot of academic jargon there. No, I think, I think that's pretty good. And I also think that... Um, that it's really a good thing to think about and learn, especially in terms of virtue, in terms of like you actually have to use your will to be able to use these gifts that that are given by the Holy Spirit. Um, 
and some of the, you know, like, like fortitude is also virtue. Yeah. So, so courage, this is a fascinating, we were talking about the structure before. Mm-hmm. It's the metaphysical structure of St. Thomas Aquinas. Fortitude or courage is a passion or emotion. So there's the emotion of courage. Then there's the virtue of courage. And there's the gift of vir- the gift of courage. So imagine it. The lowest level is your instinct, your emotion. Then there's your reason, which regulates your emotion. And then there's the Holy Spirit, which elevates your your the the virtue. Yeah, that's great. And by the way, courage as a virtue also regulates anger, fear, and hope. Right within temperance, right? No, temperance. No. Temperance is the lower emotions, love and hate. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. it's kind of. I mean, I've been like meditating over and over again on this stuff. Well, because it's really, it's really fascinating. Is I well, have you ever seen my article where I argue for uh, I, what I call a Thomistic mindfulness, which is um, I, I've integrated mindfulness, and in, hopefully this isn't getting controversial. I would describe mindfulness as just simply aware of what you're experiencing, like the physical sensation and mm-hmm. the bodily sensation. And what I've done over the years, I've been doing this for like three or four years is I ruminate over and over again on the 11 principal passions of Aquinas and try to identify what am I experiencing. Right now, am I experiencing anger? Am I experiencing fear? Um, what, like, and, and I kind of analyze it. And I actually think about it in light of the virtue. Mm-hmm. And I know to a woman, this might sound incredibly like, you know. Um, I, 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 have you ever heard of the visions of Adrian von Speyer? No. Who's... Uh, worked with uh, von Balthasar, very controversial figure. I, I, I really, I find it interesting. She has a book. Um, it's, it's a series of visions she had of the interior life of saints. And it's weird because I think it's very authentic the way she describes the interior life of people. But then you're like, it's, it, she doesn't strike me as a very empathetic person because she sees the interior life of St. Thomas Aquinas and she's very critical of Aquinas. It's very interesting. Like she says, he's very analytical, and he's just his his mind, the way his mind works, is very analytical. And for her, this is like the opposite of true spirituality, because true spirituality is it's like touchy feely, it's it's relational, you know, the analytical side of things. And I've seen that with women. When women encounter men who are incredibly analytical and they mm-hmm. discuss things analytically, they can be very turned off by that. Like, especially like women religious. I can see that. I can see that. Because, you know, men are the head, women are the heart type of situation. So it's like a little bit of a mental clash. (laughs) Not that all, not that all women are like that, but um, definitely can see how that would be something that um, would make people feel like it wasn't as spiritual as they think it could be. Is that what you're kind of saying? Oh, absolutely. Even like, though he, he explains women, things like, in the most understandable way. Like, fed a steady diet of like non-dominational, other Mike Schmidt, Sister Miriam. And they encounter like Thomism. Sometimes they're like, ooh, yikes, yikes. <laughs> and they, 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 they can warm up to it if it's the right person. But like. Well, yeah. a lot of it is in the, is in the delivery. Yeah. So. Absolutely. So they can be, it can be delivered in a way that's not as harsh. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Is I was talking with Sister uh, Bethany, um, the Sister for Life, who's the, the well-known speaker. 
after she did some videos for us. It's like, you know, it was really fascinating for me to hear the women religious speak about their prayer lives. I was like, you know, it's just, it's just a whole different side of things that I don't encounter on a regular basis as a diocesan priest in a rural diocese where there's not a whole lot of women religious around um, or women religious that, well, that's another issue. Um, but, but there's just not a whole lot of like sisters for life, national Dominicans around. So I don't on a regular basis encounter women. I hate to say it because lay women have deep prayer lives. They have deep spiritualities, but it's not the same as women religious, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's a different uh, vocation, different uh, ways of living that the women who are um, sisters or nuns are, their life is ordered to that prayer where the rest of us are ordered to caring for the people around us first. Yeah, exactly. I just, yeah, exactly. Um, And so, but it was just really fun for me. And I was, I was telling sister Bethany, I was like, you know, a lot of times um, I had this one time I did this interview for somebody and, um, and I was, I don't know what I was on that day, but I was like, uh, I was just kind of talking about things and having a lot of fun. And the, the, the young woman, she was like a college student, she stopped me and she said, well, what about your relationship with the Lord? You're describing a whole bunch of abstract things. I'm like, that was my relationship with the Lord. <laughs> 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 and actually, actually, the more, the more I, the more pure, the way I would prefer to talk about my relationship with the Lord would be more, paradoxical more poetic less relational um in the way that you um and less imaginative if that makes sense i mean i use my imagination and i've and i've learned that like i've my spirituality has like fleshed out like it's like i've learned how to speak the more relational language i've learned how to to relate that and to communicate that um in a relational way mm-hmm. but my comfort zone is more the like if you read like a, a, um, I'm trying to think of some writers that would explain this the Philokalia or um, uh, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas or St. John of the Cross that that's more how I think mm-hmm. see it's interesting because to me the poet poetic is relational in in my mind so the fact that you kind of you have it in a separate category is funny to me because like I think of poetic as relational. Um, but because have you really gotten into a lot of like apophatic type stuff? The apophatic? No. But my, my, like when I think poetic, I think Dante. Yeah. I mean, that's a little bit more narrative. Um, like you ever read like T.S. Eliot, Four Quartets? Uh, no. that, that would be, um, it's, I mean, really the Four Quartets is a kind of metaphysical exposition. See, the, the real challenge is to express metaphysical realities. And this is where apophaticism um, is very pronounced within in the tradition. Um, to express metaphysical realities is not easily accessible. It, it, it often tends to be very paradoxical and very, um, it can seem a little impersonal, but filled with mystery and paradox. And that's T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets kind of gets into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think of another writer that would express it. just well. kind of reminds me how, how G.K. Chesterton kind of explains things. Um, is that mm-hmm. similar, but no. just in a narrative way? No, I mean, uh, G.K. Chesterton would be actually more popular writing. Um, yeah, 
Well, it's also, I was heavily influenced by like modernism, but that's, we're, we're off on a tangent. Let's get yeah. back into the reading. Okay. You ready for the second reading? Oh, wait. We have a... We're, we're already like 25 minutes in. I know. Uh, so Ryan says, I love the discussion about conscience. A good conscience is a gift from God. Conscience can be a good barometer of right and wrong. We have the law written on our hearts, and our conscience can either excuse or accuse. A firm believer that God speaks through, to us through our conscience and our internal barometer of right and wrong, the Holy Spirit at work. And we also need to train our consciences. We need to learn what is right and wrong because our culture definitely does not have a good conscience right now. Um, and Ryan also says, Spencer, my youngest, says hi. Hi, Spencer. He also supports Father Ian's decision to grow the beard back. We are, we are pro-beard. Um, Norma Jean Hare. Welcome back, Norma. She says, hello, Father Ian and Alana. I miss you too. Sending you both peace and good health. Thank you, Norma. It's good to be back. It's been a rough row with stuff going on and internet issues. So it's good to be back speaking, you know, paradoxically about random things and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, (laughs) But I'm going to go to the second scroll all the way down go to the second reading all right from first corinthians brothers and sisters no one can say jesus is lord except by the holy spirit there are different kinds of spiritual gifts but the same spirit there are different forms of service but the same lord there are different workings but the same god who produces all of them in everyone to each individual the manifestation of the spirit is given for some benefit as as a body is one through its, though it has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free persons, and we were all given to drink of one spirit. Okay, so. Yeah. What do you think about charisms and the discernment of charisms? I haven't. Um... I, I actually asked Sherry Waddell once about this. I didn't get an, a satisfactory answer. I was like, I, I'm not only sure, I understand the distinction between talents and charisms. And I, the, it's, it's almost like a whole movement. It's Sherry Waddell, Catherine Coolidge, um, and a lot of folks who, they've had a huge influence on the United States. And there's like the charism, it's like the get, called and gifted inventory. Mm-hmm. I, I generally think it's great stuff. The only thing I was a little bit perplexed by was I understand the concept of they distinguish between natural abilities and charisms. And I understand conceptually the difference. I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I didn't like prepare this beforehand. So maybe you could flesh out the, the language for the distinction. I get the distinction. It's mm-hmm. the distinction between that which is from God and that which is ours by nature. Right. That or that we've, we've just been trained to do. Like some people are just trained to um be good administrators that's not necessarily their gift from god or they could be it could be their gift and they were also just happened to be in an administrative position so it's it takes discernment they're really big on like the discernment yeah and i and i think overall like 99 percent of it it just seems it's great it seems effective it seems helpful i don't understand why they make such a hard distinction between charisms like I, I on a practical level like you know for example like i think it's safe to say everybody picks up on the fact that i love public speaking 
seem to have a knack for it, right? I can speak in front of a camera, I can speak in front of a group. Is it a charism or is it a natural ability? I mean, I, I can understand, I can understand why both thinking can be helpful. So for example, I think one of the things that they, they discuss a lot, which I think is very good, is the sense that um, understanding of other people who may not have the same charisms, gifts, talents as you. I don't even know why we need to distinguish so hard. I mean, I can understand conceptually distinguishing. It's like a, it's like a Thomistic uh, distinction that's like, I understand what you're, the point you're making, but in reality and practice, I'm not sure why the distinction has to be so hard and fast. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think that over the years, it has helped me to empathize with people, to recognize that much of who you are and much of what you can do often goes beyond your intentional will. Even in this crisis, I think right now, you know, um, some people are saying in my diocese and around the country, why couldn't certain priests be more like other priests? And I was in that place like two months ago where I was mad at certain people and I was mad at, mad at a lot of things. But I also have realized there's many of the ways that people respond to this crisis was often a result of their circumstances, their upbringing, their charisms, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and how the Holy Spirit works through them. And it's just, it's, it's, it's tough to judge if we're not God. Right. It's a good reminder that people are coming from different positions and it's important, especially it, maybe it's also good to get to know people so to know where they're gifted and it helps you put them in the right, it helps them go towards the right way of building up the church of, of giving their gifts back to God in a way that's profitable uh, in terms of fruit, fruitfulness in the church. Um, so I think that's kind of an, an important thing. Um, I don't know. I have a hard time. I, have, I haven't discerned my gifts or anything. So it's, it's just interesting to like, it's an interesting topic. I like the fact that there are gifts. The Holy Spirit do, does give us these charisms for us to work in, in the church and that we can discern them. Um, but like you said, I think it's, I, I guess I'm just not there yet. <laughs> There's something about the way they articulate it where they they kind of multiply charisms. And I would ask, and maybe there's a good answer to this. What are the keys to any science or any, um, yeah, science? Theology is a science, according to Aquinas. Is how do you demonstrate, how do you demonstrate the validity of your argument? What is the proof? How do you prove it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is something about Thomistic categories that it fits together in a system that there's a certain logic to it. Now with the charisms, there comes a certain point when you're multiplying things to such an extent, it's like, how do we empirically or from the sources validate this in a concrete way? And how do we systematize it? And so that might be foreign to some people's thinking, which, Hey, fair enough. But, um, the only thing I would say, so there's the good of it and there's some of the bad side of it. I think the good side of it is self-knowledge. Yeah. Like self-knowledge is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, if there's one thing I've learned in my 38 years, I am not a detailed person. I, I, there's certain things about me, but like 
I need somebody around me who's detail oriented. I need people who are organized or, you know, and not just organized, I'm fairly organized, but there's certain kinds of personalities and certain kinds of people I need to, fill, uh, I need to uh, surround myself with. And, and I have for the most part. Um, the downside I've, I've seen sometimes is it's a challenge is you want everybody to adapt to what you've discerned and what you've, so sometimes there's a classic story with bishops and priests where a priest says, well, you know, I talked to my spiritual director and this assignment is not good for me. And, and then sometimes the priest will almost expect the bishop to like bow down to that and be like, oh, well, well now we got to move you to the, the nicer parish because, you know, you said so and you've discerned it. It's like, well, mm, kind of. I mean, and then the bishop makes his discernment. And, you know, I, I've, I think sometimes there's people who will use that kind of spiritual language like charisms, discernment uh, to, uh, to mitigate the responsibility, like to not take responsibility for their decisions or... Right, or only do what they want to do. Because it's like, oh, well, I do this because this is my gift. Yeah. And this is my this is what I have charge over. But I don't do that over there because that's not my gift. Yeah. Which could be completely, you know, just not them not wanting to do that thing over there. Not that they don't know how or can't physically do it, you know, so... Well, and there's a, there's a problem in our diocese sometimes is sometimes you need a priest who may not be good at something to do 75% in a role, even though you could do a hundred percent in another role, because you just need somebody in that role. <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah. there's, there's, there's certain number of parishes, this parish is open. You don't have an assignment or you're changing assignments. You need you to go here. Yes. It's, it's not ideal for you. It's not great for you. Suck it off buttercup and do your best job. Yeah. And maybe there's something that God has for you to learn in that, you know, about yourself or about how to deal with other people, which is an important thing too. Yeah. Have you ever had a position or a job where you're definitely not living up to your potential and like having to suck that up? Yeah. Before, um, yeah, definitely. In, in terms of like uh, before you know, coming back to the church, definitely feel like I was in a place where it was just like, okay, this is not happening. <laughs> it's not good. So that's, that's, that's why I love, I've actually, I wanted to create a document is St. John of the Cross, the Nada section. I'll create a version of that for Dawson priests for like assignments. So it says endeavor to be inclined, not to the easiest, but to the most difficult, not to what means rest, but to means hard work, not to the most, but to the least. And I was thinking about that is, is like if you consistently choose the worst assignments or choose the lowest places or the most difficult circumstances, it's hard to do, but it's not a bad thing. Right. Maybe I'm struggling with that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I honestly, I've uh, consistently found as I get older, I found everything works out for the best. I mean, in my life, um, mm -hmm. the way this crisis unfolded, I mean, I was pretty ticked off two months ago, or there were certain things that were really bothering me. To be honest with you, if those things hadn't happened, or if it hadn't worked out that way, um, I wouldn't be in the position I am right now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. I'm just thinking because now, now I'm in a weird limbo between graduation and like everyone wants to know what my, the plan for my life is. And I'm like, God's never told me, uh, welcome to my boat. I don't know what the plan for my life is. 
you know, mm-hmm. like, what am I going to choose? What am I going to discern, you know, um, that I should do in, you know, whatever comes up for, for positions that I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Like, do I take this one that I don't know if I want or not? You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's hard. It's like, is this, do I not want it? Cause it's hard. Do I not want it? Cause I don't feel like this is my gift. You know what I mean? Cause like if something's actually not your gift, should you actually be doing that job? That's another thing that, yeah, what do you oh. think about that? I mean, normally I, it's a longer conversation. Um, it's less of a theoretical conversation, mm-hmm. but it's more like walk me through what are your fears, what are your anxieties and kind of clear away. My whole philosophy with discernment, and I think this is based on Ignatius and the Desert Fathers, is you start by clearing away the weeds. Like, what are your fears? You know, right. um, are you afraid of being underappreciated, underpaid? Do you need to make a certain amount of money? Just walk me through. Like, and it's, there's no right or wrong. Just walk me through what are your fears. And that's kind of normally what I do for a while. Mm-hmm. And then normally at a certain point, um, yeah, it starts to clear away. Um, like, I remember this one time. This was like four years ago. There was this one college student, and we just, I don't know what ended up happening to her. I have a feeling it didn't go the best. But she was in college, and she didn't want to be in college. She just she just wanted to be a housewife who like made knickknacks and like and like tended a garden and just took care of her family. She had no desire for a degree, and it was just her mom was forcing it to her. And I think that's also is like you have to clear away some of those voices as well. You know, the voice that tells you that unless you make a certain amount, or if you you have to have a certain amount of power or um, a certain amount of prestige. Um, you know, I think, I don't know about what your situation is, but I know for, um, for a lot of, I mean, I think for a lot of women, there's also a battle between um, the kind of feminist voice of ambition and, and be ambitious and some of the other desires. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely going to be different. I don't know if I have quite the feminist voice in me. Um, I think I probably struggle between that and, you know, the more traditionalist voice, but I still feel called to work in the church. So it's really confusing because <laughs> um, I don't want to be seen as the feminist who's like barging into the church and taking over. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not. So that's probably a negative voice, right? Yeah. yeah. It's just like but some people see that most. Well, and, and I will say this, generally speaking, as I've gotten older, Every negative voice you have in your head that's generally the work of the enemy, mm-hmm. people will say those things to you. <laughs> just, just be prepared. Yeah. Be prepared for it. Like, um, and get behind me, Satan. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Because, <laughs> I mean, people, I, I think if people heard some of the things people have said to me over the years, they would be like, holy crap. <laughs> you know, this, this guy gets, yeah, I get, I get, I mean, people are like in close, I mean, I've had all kinds of crazy stuff said to me, you know, um, you know, uh, what was it? And sometimes they're like backhanded compliments. Like I had one guy, he's a nice guy. He might even be watching this. Uh, I don't know if you remember saying this to me. He was, I was like, Neil, your day. He's like, you know, when I first saw you as a seminarian, I didn't think you were going to amount so much. <laughs> he's like, he's like, but you're doing pretty good now. I'm like, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, and and be honest with you, the more you risk, the more you risk, the greater the reward, and the more negative voices you have to deal with. Um, Sometimes people will ask me, 
why don't more priests do what you do um, with media, with social media, and, and, and even like my creativity and stuff like that. And I would say to somebody, I was like, you have to shovel a lot of manure to do the things I do. Um, I, it's just, it comes with the territory. And, and you're, you have to have really thick sin. Because, I mean, I've had everybody under the sun at one point or another call me out. <laughs> you know? And it's just like, and over years, luckily, it's just my sense of what I'm called to do has gotten stronger. And, I mean, I listen to those voices. I listen to people. Mm-hmm. But I'm secure in what I'm doing. Right. Which is, could that be your charism? Oh, yeah. I mean, there, I mean there's, I'm I'm sure that's that's the way we would describe it. But, yeah, um, I'm just bringing it back. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, the, uh, the and I think it's it's really challenge. Um, it's probably like that for everybody. It's like that for I don't think it's just unique to me. I think what happens is some people, when those voices start to emerge, they let those voices paralyze them, and they're like trying to please 30 people at once in their head. And, and what you realize is you're never going to please those 30 people. Like there's like, there's a good five or six people in my life who are important. And I'll be honest with you. I don't think they're ever going to say good job, Ian. Like just, they're never going to do it. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're leaders, they're whatever. They're never going to like praise me for what I've done. And I've got to like, let go of that. Yeah. Right. Right. Because you're not doing it for them. Exactly. Yeah. Like sense. my bishop, like I don't think my bishops ever. I've never had a bishop tell me I'm doing a good job. Well, no, that's not true. I had a few indications, but yeah. yeah. But that's not the that's not the goal. Yeah. The goal isn't to appease those voices, right? Oh yeah, I mean, and everybody says that, like, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, your job is not to make the bishop happy. Yeah, you know what? I mean, if you keep telling yourself that enough, like, sure, but. If your bishop's not happy with you or if you're bucking the bishop or you're not getting any affirmation, that sucks, man. I mean, that's hard to deal with. Like, yeah. let's be honest with you. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm th- in my head, I was thinking about the imaginary voice of the, bi- the bishop, not the actual bishop. Yeah. You know, because you were saying these voices that you have to, like, deal with. Versus- well, and there's, there's a certain, I think, correspondence between the voice and, and the person, you know? Um, yeah. But the voice and the actual person could be saying two different things, <laughs> you know, yeah. depending on. Well, I mean, the difference between the voice and the person, I mean, this distinction we're making, is the voice in your head knows you. The bishop may not even think that much about you. <laughs> but all of a sudden done, I mean, for example, I mean, there's a good shot that the bishop's like, well, you know, Ian's going to do his thing. I don't have to worry about that. Let me get back to like what I'm going to have for lunch or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just a little bit dance about that. I'm like, you know, don't be surprised if you realize the bishop only thinks about you for about five minutes. Like, I mean, like he looks at like something that's going on. He hears about it. He thinks about it for five minutes, comes to a decision or, or whatever, and then moves on. It's like, yeah, don't be surprised if you're like, where'd that come from? And you're like, oh, like the bishop doesn't really know me. It's like, well, yeah, he's got a hundred priests. So yes, he probably doesn't really know you that well. Yeah. That's funny. So we have uh, comments. Erico says hugs from Brazil. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Ryan says everything always works out the way it's supposed to. Uh, 
Always easier said in 2020 hindsight, though. More difficult to see in the moment. It's also really difficult in literally 2020 because everything seems difficult right now. Mm -hmm. Just to, you know, just in general, everything's confusing. Um, Ryan also says that the voices in Father's Head, that's enough content for another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan, for, you know, calling us out. (laughs) I've ever walked to you. Actually, I did a podcast on, there's a psalm where it's like, I walk through, it's like the voices of the accuser. It's one of the cursing songs. Mm. Yeah. I haven't heard that one, no. Oh, yeah, it's, it's actually a fun. Your oh, um, battery's about to die. Yep, your battery's going to die. Uh, how how quick is that going to go? Do you know? I have no idea. We'll find out. All right. So we're, I wonder we're if that's going to show up. Now. Let's get into the gospel. All right. It cuts out. I can, I can switch over if it cuts out. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So. It's not so sweet, man. I do have extra batteries, but I don't think I brought them with me. Okay. Well, let's get to the gospel. It's a short gospel from the gospel of John. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the doors were locked, there where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Okay. I really like the combination of these readings about these gifts that are given, but also in combination with the peace that Christ brings and gives to us. Like this is how we, like this is the place we are to use those gifts in this, in this Christ-like peace that he gives us, right? Like that's where we can become the most fruitful is, is residing I, I, I in space. I've been doing social distancing now. What? <laughs> <laughs> I just had to crack that joke. He breathes on them right now. If you did yeah. that right now, it's <laughs> He breathes on them and then was arrested again. <laughs> <laughs> he was arrested by the state of New York for violating social distancing. Yeah, for spreading COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> little things you pick up on you're like he breathed on them like you're like oh no terror (laughs) (laughs) a dead guy breathed on you okay sorry that let's go back to what i was saying about peace (laughs) what were you saying again (laughs) so i said that i really like the combination of these readings where where we're given these gifts and we're talking about like how we're one body and and that christ gives us in that moment this peace so, like, in, in these three readings, like, the peace is where we're supposed to, like, reside. We reside in Christ's peace, and then we are able to use these gifts to um, go forth and, you know, create disciples. And, you know, work on the co-mission of the church, right? Yeah. There's this one text, the way they put it, it's very, it's a heterodox text. I'm not going to tell you who it is or where it is, they're not, they're not orthodox, but they have this one line that's very, it sticks with me. They talk about the still point. Your, um, um, your video's off. We're done. <laughs> can you still hear me? I can hear you, but I can't see you. Okay, don't worry. It says change the battery pack. There we go. There you are. Okay. So, yeah. Dang it, it's gone. It was, it was beautiful for a moment. Now everyone can see the difference, why the clarity is important. 
All right. Oh, I know. Jeez, I know. Um, okay, keep going. So. Oh, so so the still point. And the way I've, I've often understood it is talk about three layers of existence, so the metaphysical structure of the universe. Um, there's the physical, emotional, there's the intellectual, and then there's the spiritual. And I would say, imagine it like the ocean. So there's the surface of the ocean, and then you go deeper in the ocean where it's just all as calm below, where there's steady, it's more steady. And, and that's where you learn to connect with that deeper stillness in, in prayer and that still voice. Mm-hmm. That's the way I would just, I describe it a lot. So your emotions could be all over the place, but there's that peace and that stillness within. That makes sense. And that's where you can go in prayer, even if things are crazy and there is fear because that, you know, something real is actually happening. It's okay to have an emotional reaction, but that you're able for discernment or for like, how do you respond to this? in the act of the will that you're able to go there in peace in this peace that the world does not give right that's what we're looking for the desert fathers refer to it as inner concentration so you learn to and that's part of the jesus prayer and the, the teachings of jesus prayer is that you you dwell you dwell in unknowing a cloud of unknowing concept see this is where the apophatic stuff starts to you know so mm-hmm. you hear things like you know learn to dwell in the heart in perfect self-forgetting doesn't sound very relational, does it? Like, and it's like, and then flesh that out. <laughs> well, and it's a mystery. I mean, it's something you experience. To people who experience, it makes sense, but to those who don't. Right. How do you get to that experience? You just do? Well, a lot of times, it's, it's a purification of the emotions. And so a few things that have to start to happen. So there's the ordering of the emotions, normally through like concentration, meditation techniques, awareness, self-knowledge. There's a healing of memories that needs to take place. Um, and then just, it's, it's just navigating, navigating. Yeah. So during this time, what would you say, like for people who aren't quite there um, that are listening or watching, what would you say would be helpful during this time to find that peace that Christ gives that we can really rely on in this time, I really feel like that is where my hope is right now. Like where I find myself not having anxiety. Like the more I focus on my hope and more I focus on like having this peace that, that the least anxiety that I feel. Um, I mean, I think it's all found within St. Ignatius. I think St. Ignatius is the best way to start um, with the Ignatian exercises, discernment. Mm -hmm. The only thing I would say I would add to St. Ignatius that's found in the exercises, but it's not explicit, is the awareness of the body as well. So the emotions and awareness of the body. and So when, you, when you're meditating on consolation and desolation, not that it's just some concept, but it's like literally right now, physically in my body. Like right now, my shoulders are tense. I've had a tough weekend. I need to relax a lot, and that's what I'm going to do all week on vacation. Stretch out, breathing, meditation, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, But yeah, just like, what are you physically feeling as well? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the mindfulness piece as well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will get stuck up in their heads. And um, I've I've seen that a few times when people first learn about consolation and desolation. It's all in their head. It's like, no, I want you to like feel your body right now. Like, what's your body saying to you right now? Right. Usually my body has a physical reaction to 
whatever spiritually is happening. And I feel like maybe I notice more when my body is reaction than when I'm like lost in my, if I'm lost in my brain, my body's feeling will kind of kick me out of this and like make me recognize like, wait a minute, is this a spiritual situation? You know, where I just. Well, it's actually you, what you described the desert fathers talk about a lot. You talk about keeping the head within the heart or keeping the head within the body, which is sometimes if you get really lost in your thoughts and you're thinking and you're thinking a lot, you're spinning your wheels. What happens is your body's actually tense and your fight or flight mechanism, you're anxious. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. when you re- they talk about reconnecting the head with the body. Right. And that's important because like, especially dealing with the anxiety problems that I've dealt with um, in the past that my fight or flight was almost always on mm-hmm. that it's hard, when it's almost always on, it's hard to tell because that's like your normal, which is desolation. You're always in desolation. Right. And that's really difficult. Yeah. I would call it like a persistent desolation. Yeah. And once you get out of that, once you feel some like feel different, then you think, is this how normal people feel? Because this is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) The answer is, is it cycles. Like right now I almost feel like I want to go do a holy hour after this conversation because I can feel like tension. I'm like, man, I would feel so great right now. I just spend this hour in silence. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It's just like, okay, after talking to you, I need to just not talk. No, no, it's not, it's <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time, but it's just like what came up, you know, just giving you a hard time. But it is about time to wrap up. Um, Paul Lanting says, hello from British Columbia. How are you doing? Thank you for joining us. Paul, uh, Raul, I said Paul. It was Raul. I can't read, obviously. You know, I don't really have the energy left for a lot of intercessions today. I'm, I'm pretty tired, man. This is the most tired I've, well, no, that's not true. I've been more tired in my priesthood, but I, I need a vacation this week. I'm gonna so be- how about we pray for actual resting in the Holy Spirit? Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, as I approach my va- vacation slash retreat, the next few days help me to rest in the Holy Spirit. I ask you to continue to bless our communities as we move forward with how to emerge from isolation. Help us to practice prudence and discernment and, and fill us with your Holy Spirit as we approach Pentecost. We ask you to bless all who will watch or listen to this and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Amen. Have a great week, everyone. So take me to the fountain I seek. It's welling up, it's Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by. Have you ever been put on the spot and asked to explain or defend Catholic teaching on sensitive topics such as abortion, same-sex marriage, or the Eucharist? What to Say and How to Say It is a straightforward and practical resource by Brandon Vogt, best-selling and award-winning author of Why I Am Catholic and You Should Be Too. He offers essential tools for articulating even the most contentious aspects of your Catholic faith 
with clarity and confidence. You can get a copy of this important new book at AveMariaPress.com. Use code TALKFAITH to get 25% off your copy today. Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small batch artisan coffee using top tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic themed coffees available at www dot grimbeancoffee.com forward slash redboxmedia experience coffee like never before